Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And my name is Brian Colbert Kennedy. This is the podcast where we dive into a specific topic or question that's affecting everyone on the planet right now or in the next 10 years. If it can kill us or turn us into the ousters from Hyperion, we're in. Our guests are scientists, doctors, engineers, politicians, astronauts, even a reverend. And Mm -hmm. we work together toward action steps that our listeners can take with their voice, their vote, and their dollar. This is your friendly reminder that you can send questions, thoughts, hate mail, ransom notes, and other fun feedback to us on Twitter at importantnotimp, uh, or you can email us at funtalk at importantnotimportant.com. You can also join thousands of other smart people uh, and other people we've convinced to do it uh, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. And, uh, of course, you can also check out Brian's morning show every day, I'm not going to say morning, uh, on Instagram, on Instagram stories, uh, one minute about the news. Um, it is just delightful. That's nice of you to say. Tell uh, them what we're doing today, Brian. Okay, this week's episode is talking about monsoons and food, mm-hmm. and most importantly, mm-hmm. people, specifically mm-hmm. the people of India. And who's right, our guest, right. Quinn? Uh, Dr. Deep T. Singh, and uh, she is from there, and she studies the conflux of all of those things from over here and from over there, uh, and and uh, we got a bit of an education today, and uh, I really did uh, love that. Um, I feel some of these some of these conversations, I feel like um, Neo in the Matrix a little bit. Plug it in, and all of a sudden, you're <laughs> like, well, fuck, now I, I know that thing, and that feels pretty goddamn important. Yeah, it's maybe my favorite thing about doing this because, you know, I mean, I'm fine with it, but I love how much I get to learn every day. Yeah, it, not every day. I mean, you only come in every Thursday, but, you know. Anyways, <sighs> great conversation, and uh, yeah, I think people are going to like uh, like Dr. Singh, so let's, uh, let's, let's do this let's thing. Let's just go listen to it. Let's just go do it, okay? Okay. Okay. Our guest today is Dr. Deep T. Singh, and together we're going to ask, how is climate change already affecting uh, Indian monsoons? And what does that mean for the people there uh, and for the food that they grow and the food that they eat? Because people need to eat. Uh, Dr. Singh, welcome. Hi there. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for being with us today. Yeah, I'm excited for this conversation. Uh, we are too. Give it time. <laughs> um, if we could just start by, uh, doctor, just telling uh, telling everybody who you are and what you do. So I am an assistant professor in the School of the Environment at Washington State University in Vancouver, Washington, not Canada. Washington. Got it. Got it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I I do research on climate change impacts on extreme events particularly focusing on monsoons. And I teach. I've recently started teaching undergraduate and graduate courses on topics related to that. That is wow. super cool. Yeah, that's, that's so great that you turned it into teaching. Yes, it's been fun. I've only, uh, this is my, um, I, I, the, I taught for the first time in the spring semester. It was an undergraduate class on the science and policy of climate change. And I think it went pretty well. Now, what major does that fall under these days? So, so for us, I it's, I mean, at um, WSU, it's just called School of the Environment. So, so, I guess, environmental science majors. All right, we'll take it. I'm glad, I'm <laughs> glad that that and, yeah. exists. Yeah, that sounds pretty great. And, of course, before this conversation is over, we, we will have to know who your least favorite student and favorite student are. Yep, yep, yep. 
<laughs> I'm not biased. Uh huh. All Brian's teacher said that too. <laughs> uh, so, as a reminder for everyone, and so you know, Deep T, I think we mentioned it before we started film, uh, recording, but our goal here with this whole thing is to uh, we'll provide some context um, for the uh, for our question, our topic uh, of the day here, and then uh, dig into some some action-oriented questions and steps that get to the heart of why we should care about it at all and what we should uh, all be doing uh, about it and to to help and improve it. Sound good? Yes. All right, so Deep T, uh, we start with one important question, and you cheated and listened to the other episodes. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, instead of saying, tell us your entire life story, as fascinating as I'm sure that is, uh, <laughs> we like to cut to it and ask, uh, Dr. Singh, why are you vital to the survival of the species? Ooh, um, Mm -hmm. I don't think I am vital to the survival of the species, but I think I, through my work, I'm contributing to making the lives of a few people slightly better, hopefully. And I'm hoping um, that my work kind of informs, um, you know, climate change is not something that one person can, can tackle. So I feel like I'm part of a bigger community of people that are trying to educate the world about uh, climate change and trying to find uh, ways in which we can minimize the risk for people. I mean, it sounds like a good idea, right, Brian? Seems important. Seems like she's pretty Seems vital. Seems pretty important. Uh, well, we thank you for 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 what you're doing out there. Um, it is it is necessary, certainly. Okay, so <clears throat> let's dig into uh, some context for today. And again, sometimes these conversations are fairly wonky. Uh, sometimes they're just me spilling my feelings or talking it out. Uh, this one, I feel like, kind of falls in between. But uh, let's dig into <laughs> what we talk, what we mean when we first of all talk about uh, the word monsoon. So uh, when 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 Americans or white people in general hear the word monsoon, or um, if you're in Los Angeles, you decide it's would seem cool to use the word monsoon to describe a very light drizzle that clogs up Laurel Canyon for two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, turns out that's not what it is or really the way anyone that actually studies weather or climate uh, uses it or describes it. Um, there seem to be sort of a, a variety of related uh, definitions among the professions, um, but it seems mostly, and please correct me if I'm wrong here, to refer to the seasonal reversing of winds and the associated precipitation uh, caused by differential heating between the the land in question and the adjacent ocean. Is that feel about right? Yes. So you kind of did the hard work for me of explaining what that is. You were pretty. You that it was a pretty accurate definition of it. It's basically large-scale system that brings rainfall to different regions, uh, predominantly in certain seasons. So, and, and that happens because of the seasonal reversal of winds as the northern hemisphere warms up in the summer season, um, the land becomes warmer than the, than the ocean. The, the land in the northern hemisphere becomes warmer than the surrounding oceans. And that is one factor that influences the uh, the location and the strength of the winds that bring in all the moisture from the oceans to the land. All right. That's, that's certainly helpful and much more detailed than my, you know, reading off of the internet. Uh, so, I <laughs> and the same, so the same thing happens even in the Southern hemisphere. So not that the monsoons actually uh, are not something that only affects South Asia. They mm-hmm. are, um, you know, they're part of, uh, they are part of the climate system in, South Asia, East Asia, Africa, Australia. The North, there's a North American monsoon as well that affects the Southwest 
There you go. Um, in in July, I think July through September is the monsoon season there. Fascinating. You learn yeah, something new every day, Brian. I'm so glad we do this. Um, <laughs> Me too. So, uh, sort of getting into it, and again, these are literally just facts from the internet. Uh, I do mm-hmm. try to learn as much as I can, and please just tell me where I'm wrong, or you can just hang up and leave, whichever <laughs> feels like the right decision. Please don't do that um, one. But why is uh, one day I'm going to leave you? Uh, <laughs> so, so I guess getting into why the monsoon of South Asia, or, or specifically here that which affects the Indian subcontinent, so mm-hmm. well known and and so important. And um, there's a few reasons that 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 I can tell, at least pertinent to this conversation. But it is one of the seems to be again from what I've been told um, from Yahoo Answers, it is one <laughs> of the oldest and most anticipated in a number of ways weather patterns on the planet. And and I believe it runs from about June to September. Is that correct? Yes. So, uh, yeah, so it starts um, at the southern end of the, the southern tip of the subcontinent mm-hmm. in like early June and then progresses through the entire subcontinent by July, sort of set up over the entire region. And then it starts to retreat in late August, early September. Okay. Okay. Um, and um, it's one fun fact please. is that there are actually two monsoons. There's the summer monsoon and the winter monsoon. The summer monsoon is the more well-known one because it brings come on, about, about 80% of the amount, like total annual rainfall to the region. If you look at the region as a whole, but the Southern part of, of India actually gets about 50% of its rainfall from the winter monsoon as well. So they're both, important systems and it's again it's the same same thing it's just a the reversal of the winds which for the for the peninsular part of india brings in rainfall from a different ocean but Mm. it's the same system yes fascinating there you go i mean look brian we can't just leave this out you know it's uh it's even though it's like the stepchild that nobody wants to talk about it's there (laughs) and it matters uh what really matters and as you mentioned beforehand and and we're almost done with this little section is that Mm -hmm. uh it it wouldn't matter if this was blowing over just the australian outback right there are 1.3 billion people living on the indian subcontinent and that's a (laughs) lot of people uh, that want and need to know if it's going to rain really fucking hard and when and for how long. And that's not even including uh, nearby countries like Bangladesh and Bhutan and Nepal and Pakistan and Sri Lanka. And uh, kind of getting into what we're talking about, this particular monsoon, from what I understand, can be a real bitch to predict. And so it's it's vital, but a from what I understand, a 10% increase can mean devastating floods and a 10% shortage can mean droughts. But it's not just, are people going to get rained on? It supplies so much of the irrigation for the food and the agriculture in those areas. So uh, from what I understand, 60% of the agriculture in central India is rain fed. And this agriculture employs about half of the Indian workforce. Excuse me. India has the highest net cropped area on the entire planet, but it's not just about their food right? Uh, and, and their specific health. It's the fact that uh, their economy, which they're trying desperately to grow as their people grow, they export about $40 billion of agricultural products every year to 120 countries. That is a hell of a lot of, uh, among other things, rice and sugar. Uh, but the planet is changing and, and India is growing and so are those other countries. It's not just the weather. It's not just the heat. It's not just the oceans that are all getting warmer. It's all connected. So- I want to dig into. So, go ahead, please, please. I was gonna say, I so I grew up in I grew up in India, and 
you know, I, I, I recollect when the monsoon season starts, the entire region just like transforms. There's so much of a change and transformation in just landscape as well as the activities that you see mm-hmm. in the region, right? Like agriculture in, you know, farmers wait till the monsoon comes for, uh, to plant their, their crops, right? The, the entire, almost the entire, um, agriculture in the region, for a lot of the farmers is, is rain fed. And so they have, they, they, they're really dependent on the timing of this monsoon to plant their crops. And, you know, even a delay of a few weeks can really disrupt their agricultural activities. So yes, you're absolutely right about the, the monsoon predictions being a real challenge. Mm. It's just, I mean, the monsoons, just modeling the monsoons has been a challenge for several decades. And it's one of the most intensively researched monsoon systems for one, because it's, you know, it affects so many people, but also it's just a really complex system. You know, we have the Himalayan um, range to the, to the North of the subcontinent. And, you know, until we, I mean, I think in our, in our monsoon community, the, you know, what causes the monsoon is actually an open research question. That's crazy. Is it Himalayas? Is it, is it this temperature gradient we talk about? You know, how important is the Himalaya, the Himalayan range? Uh, how, how important is the Tibetan plateau to the monsoon? These are all things that we still don't understand. Sure. And that's <laughs> despite good. researching it for decades. <laughs> right. And that's crazy. It's one of the oldest weather systems. But of course, like you said, you can't just discount the largest mountain range on the planet, right? It, those things inevitably do create their own weather. Is it enough to to create this, uh, this just incredibly powerful and comprehensive weather system, and uh, is is that changing? Um, as, as the areas around the Himalayas are getting warmer too. So, look, uh, o- oceans are getting hotter. Um, so is the land. Um, and the question is, you know, is what does that mean for India so far? And we've talked a little bit about this podcast, and uh, and maybe deep to you can point us in the direction of someone we can talk to specifically about some of the heat things that are happening there with Indian farmers. Uh, as I uh, alluded to, the heat is just incredible. They have had uh, just crushing heat waves. Uh, I guess they said in the uh, e- eastern Indian state just this week. Of uh, I'm I'm going to mangle this Bihar B B I H A R Bihar Bihar. Uh, it's yeah. killed 184 people this season. They've had 33 days over 104 degrees, which is crazy. Um, and it got up to uh 45.2 Celsius, which I, I think is like what one 112 113 something something terrible like that. So it is obviously not just terrible for the health, but when 50 percent of your workforce is agriculture, that means you're supposed to be outside. Uh, working and planting, and it is un- it is obviously untenable. So that is something I definitely want to get into more. But for for now, let's talk about what it's doing for rainfall. Deep D, if you can kind of just f- finish getting us up to speed, how has climate change, from what we can tell, already mm-hmm. already affected the the South Asian monsoon? Sure. Um, so I guess there are two questions there. So the first one is how have the monsoons changed, and mm-hmm. the second question is what's causing it. Right? Perfect. Is it climate change? What is it? You know, there there are different factors that could influence that. So the so in terms of how the monsoon has changed over the last sixty to seventy years, we've seen that on the seasonal scale, like if you look at the average amount of rainfall we get 
during the monsoon season over the over the heaviest parts of in, of india um over those regions rainfall has actually declined but the climatologically drier parts of india which is in the northwest um those regions have actually um gotten a little better so the rainfall distribution across the region has changed interesting so the and and in addition to that we've also seen an increase in day-to-day variability of rainfall as well as an increase in extreme events both you know heavy rainfall events as well as increases in the frequency of dry spells and, and all of these factors have um an effect on agricultural activities so how recently have i guess Again, it's two questions. How recently have these changes begun to occur? And I guess how long did it take us to notice that besides just thinking it was, you know, year to year variations? So I want to say that the first paper that documented this this weakening of the monsoon circulation and this decline in rainfall over the uh, region that typically gets the heaviest rainfall, that first paper was, I think, published in 2006 in the journal Science. Uh, but a number of studies since then have have looked at the, the rainfall record for, for the last 70 years for which we have data and shown that shown these you know changes in rainfall patterns as well as uh, different metrics of, of extreme events that matter to people um, and so the the impact of um, you know changes in the monsoon on extreme rainfall events is one of the most widely uh, studied topics for the region and numerous papers have shown that there has been an inc- increase in the intensity of rainfall pretty much across the entire region even though some areas on average, have become drier and some areas have become wetter. Wow. And this is something, you know, we've looked at the observational record of, of rainfall for the last 70 years. But if you talk to farmers, which um, is something I did uh, a few years ago, they all say the same thing. Yes, rainfall patterns have changed. Uh, we see more intense rainfall events with longer dry periods interspersed between them. And that's actually a really accurate reflection. They're not reading our papers, but it's a very accurate reflection of what the um, the data shows. Well, I mean, they're they're living that life, right? I mean, if Absolutely. if anyone should be in touch with it, and again, it's it's not just you know we look at like the east coast of of North America, and you're tracking four seasons, and you can kind of tell if like oh, this winter's been warmer than other, but they're in the bulk of their economy for for decades and decades and centuries has been based on a specific weather system that can that can come down to being days early or days late and and variations in 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 volume um it 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 seems like of course they they should be that tuned in to it as much as as much as um you know the the papers we produce here are are about it. Absolutely, it's their main source of livelihood. They their lives revolve around for for a lot of farmers, for the small scale farmers, um, their lives revolve around uh, the the crops that they produce during the monsoon season. That's their main source of livelihood. That's wild. <laughs> I never. I this is very. It's just very interesting. I never. I never even knew that. You know, the monsoon was something that uh, the the yearly monsoon was something that everybody needed for for agriculture. It's very interesting. I don't think you're alone in that, but um, yeah, more, yeah, more people need to understand when you know one point right. three billion people plus are already being 
very much affected um, by this. Yeah. Um, so, so doctor, it's obviously changing, you know, and again, uh, for everybody listening, climate change is here. What, what has India done to wean itself off uh, uh, the seasonal monsoon? If it, if it can even, and, and, and what's the you know state of India's irrigation uh, infrastructure currently? So those are, those are good questions. <laughs> I'm not sure I can answer both of those, but so I think, you know, uh, we were talking in the, the, the question we were talking about previously is what is, you know, how is climate change affecting the monsoons, right? Um, right? And we need to understand why these changes have occurred before we can understand how to adapt to those changes, because we need to know how things will change in the future. Sure. So, and so that's something that like from a, from a scientific point of view has been a challenge for several reasons. Uh, one of the things you mentioned earlier um, was that it's one, it's, it's an area with the largest fraction of croplands, right? That, that major transformation from natural vegetation to croplands and the amount of irrigation that, um, large parts of India have, especially the, the northern parts of the states of Punjab, then the Indo-Gangetic Basin basically has so much irrigation throughout the monsoon season that, you know, these activities, this intensification of agriculture, as well as the expansion of agriculture, um, is, is, is one of the factors that's affected the monsoon. Greenhouse gases is what we generally think about when we're thinking of what's affecting, uh, what's affecting climate change, right? Mm -hmm. We don't, that's the main thing we talk about. But for areas like South Asia, as well as East Asia, that's not the primary factor that's caused a change. Um, in, hmm. in climate in the region. So um, agriculture is one of them. Greenhouse gases is a factor that's affecting the region. And one of the other main factors are aerosols. So aerosols was a thing in, in North America decades ago. And with the Clean Air Act, we've kind of cleaned up the air and, and um, we don't have to worry about aerosols as much. But aerosols, which are basically tiny little particles in the atmosphere that interact with the incoming sunlight, these particles have the highest concentrations over the South Asian and East Asian subcontinents and are the ma- one of the major sources of climate change over the region. And we're not doing anything to change that. Mm. <laughs> um we're still burning fossil fuels. So these particles come from fossil fuels and biomass burning mm-hmm. for uh, clear, like the you know burning of the agricultural waste, um, as well as um, you know um, in a lot of areas people use biomass as, like wood for cooking. All of these factors you know lead to these particles in the atmosphere that have affected the monsoon, and we are not changing those systems anytime soon that's not a great story no um and i know and this is a separate conversation but you know china has been such a big influence attempting to build and building so many coal plants in the area at the same time um i do know that india has made tremendous strides when it comes to solar and wind um Mm -hmm. signed some pretty extensive deals but obviously and this is the argument that's been going on for 20 years now with, with China and, and India and other countries that are just, that didn't really participate in the industrial revolution and in, in the 20, 20th century, like 
a lot of the Western nations did, which was like, well, we got to all use cheap coal and oil. Like, why don't they get to? And mm-hmm. that's a very understandable question. Unfortunately, the answer is like, well, we can't anymore, <laughs> unfortunately. And it's it's frustrating to see China, which again, similarly, is having all kinds of of, of clean energy success, still building yes. and relying on so much coal and and pushing that abroad. Well, we can't really blame them, right? right because, right. I mean, it is the cheapest and quickest way sure. to get energy and food access, well, energy and electricity access. Um, right. uh, That's why we used it. The people, exactly. <laughs> right. um, but, you know, for these countries, like cleaner energy is not just a matter of emission, of carbon emissions. It's also a matter of um, human health impacts. It, it's 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 something that you know transitioning to renewable energies will uh, not just reduce our emissions but also have numerous health benefits, direct and indirect. Because right. these particles that I was mentioning to you, they're not they're not um, healthy. <laughs> they they mm-hmm. um, they lead to all kinds of um, you know uh, d- diseases. And can affect, I mean, they, they're already affecting the human population. The air pollution is one of the leading causes of um, deaths in these regions. Oh, God. I mean, Delhi is just, it's unreal what's happening there. Um, Absolutely. But at the same time, it's happening everywhere. I mean, downtown London is a nightmare. Uh, Los Angeles mm-hmm. still, is it better than the 70s? Sure. But it still has the worst air in the country. Uh, I think it's like eight or nine uh, out of the top 10 most polluted cities in America are still in California, which everyone says is like the green state. And it's like, well, guess what? Not, not really. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I feel like somebody made this point recently in the media, which is like something we've somehow forgotten about with all the warming and the flooding and the burning and, and all that, which is, uh, they were talking about the transportation issues and, and, and the cars and, and, and issues like that, which is, again, it's not just about the carbon coming out and, and heating up the air when, when your f- streets are filled with gasoline cars, your mm-hmm. young children and old people and everybody are taking in these these particles that are so incredibly small and so incredibly dangerous, uh, called called PM two basically. Um, and, yes. and like you said, it's not just about the heat. It is it is there are immediate health issues, mm-hmm. and I, I I can never figure out the right way to phrase this. But you you hope that whether it's in America or, or the UK or, you know, Madrid that just banned cars downtown, um, Mm -hmm. or, or in India or, or in Shanghai, that if we're not going to do something about the heat, then hopefully the, the immediate health issues that everyone is susceptible. I mean, there's people that are much more susceptible, the the folks that have to deal with all of these things in their neighborhood, like in Los Angeles, we still Mm -hmm. literally have oil drilling next to schools. You hope that those are the things that move the needle to get people to take some action. Because it's 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 shocking and it's immediate. You know the cardiovascular issues and the and the cancer issues that are uh, happening in such great numbers in some of these places. Absolutely. Um, I mean, one of the so the, there are a couple of factors there, right? So of course, uh, you know, some of, there are these local sources of emissions, but also the meteorology of an area can affect you know the the accumulation of these these particles in the atmosphere. So I mean, you know, you were mentioning the California. Um, has still some of the cities in California still has some of the highest concentrations of these par- particles, mm-hmm. but it, it's also because because of the the meteorology of these regions. So it's not. Ju- I mean, of sure. course, there are way too many vehicles on on the roads. Sure. Um, but like, but in you know, you mentioned Delhi, and 
you, I think most people have seen these images of Delhi in the winter where you basically can't see mm-hmm. a few feet ahead of you. And there's no doubt too many people living in Delhi, too many cars on the road, but but that pollution um, that affects the region, uh, affects Delhi in, in the winter or fall and early winter is basically coming from at all the agricultural burning that's happening north of there in Punjab, and right. that's brought down downwind from there uh, by the predominant wind patterns. Interesting, interesting, yeah, um, and, and it makes you go like, oh, well, that that really sucks for Delhi. Like, why should they be at the end of that? But it just also says like, this is untenable. You know, these. Yeah. Uh, you know, so much of the pollution, not all of it, but so much of the pollution in Los Angeles comes from the port of Los Angeles, which I believe is like mm-hmm. somewhere in the top five largest ports yeah, in the world. Yeah, I was going to say, it's and one of, of the course, I don't want to simplify like how difficult it is to make a port that large. I don't think people who've never been to one of these understand how large and how much traffic these things get. Um, yeah. How hard it is to turn that to turn that ship around. Terrible pun. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it is it is difficult, but when one thing is such a huge source of it, it just goes like, why does everyone else have to suffer because of it? Yeah. yeah. In, in, uh, in Delhi, actually about 15 to 20 years ago, um, within the city, most of the public transportation changed from gasoline based fuels to compressed natural gas. Mm. So it's slightly cleaner than burning <laughs> these heavier fuels. Right. Um, and so it, it actually has helped a little bit with the air quality, but I think, you know, that there's also been a simultaneous increase in, in people's personal vehicles and those run on gasoline. So right. uh, that kind right. of made up for whatever benefits we got from that, from the earlier policy changes. Yeah. So <clears throat> let's pivot a little bit and talk about, talk about food here. How are yeah. the, again, since we we've seen these changes already happening, how are the annual crop cycles uh, being affected, and and what further changes do uh, folks like you who study it and the and the people on the ground there see coming? You know what 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 feels inevitable? What's happened, and what feels inevitable uh, down the next five ten years? So yeah, that's a, there's so many aspects to that question, right? Yeah, um, however so, you want to deal with it, please. <laughs> so again, you know, I want to uh, you know bring us back to that to what I mentioned a little while ago about you know, we think about greenhouse gases as being the most important factor, right, in Mm -hmm. causing climate change. Mm -hmm, But these aerosol particles um, actually have had a stronger influence on crop production than changes associated with with like changes in temperature and precipitation in the region. Interesting. So there are a couple of studies um, that that come out in the last few years that have shown that uh, particularly for wheat and rice, um, that that these aerosol particles have have actually caused a decline of about thirty twenty to thirty percent in, in yields. So yields have gone up because of the you know green revolution. We've there's a lot of been, there's been a lot of technological improvement, access mm-hmm. to irrigation, mm-hmm. um, all of that. But the the presence of these aerosol particles in the atmosphere because they reduce the amount of radiation or the the sunlight reaching Earth's surface that has affected crop yields to a pretty substantial degree. Did you say 30%? 20 to 30% for uh, approximately 20% for rice and and a little over 30% 30 for for wheat. And this is largely because of these aerosol particles. 
if you look at India as a whole. And these these factors, and this is not just one study showing that, there are multiple studies that have shown that these that these air pollutants are have, have had a stronger influence in areas like India and China where where, where the concentration of these these uh, particles is is the highest, uh, and so climate change is happening, no doubt. But these these factors have actually already affected yields to a greater degree than than climate has. But climate variability, the year to year variability that we experience, like droughts, they have affected a lot of people. I mean, the the small scale farmers that um, are the most vulnerable, like the marginal and small scale farmers that are most vulnerable to climate variability, because as I mentioned, they their livelihoods depend on, on what they grow um, during the monsoon season. So even a few, a few weeks of delayed monsoon onset uh, the uh, the, you know, the timing of the first monsoon rains can affect what they grow in that season. And if they can't grow rice, which is the main cash crop, then that kind of leads to severe economic losses for them. A number of crops, have, you know, they, depending on because of this variability in rainfall that we've been seeing more and more during the monsoon season, a number of crops, um, even if the monsoon, uh, you know, comes on time, if we see a dry spell early on or we see heavy rainfall later on in the season, that can damage crops. And we've seen that, um, you know, intense rainfall events just totally wipe out entire fields um, and and cause dramatic losses um, of crops um, in in several different parts of India. And that, 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 that leaves these farmers in debt because you know so i've i've i did some field work in in certain parts of india so the story might change from place to place but a lot of the farmers that i spoke to which were mostly in central india they they start by they start their season by getting out a loan and their interest rates are high they're like close to five percent a month these and they're getting loans from private for not not from government institutions they're getting in from from people and so their their interest rates are really high so you can imagine that if they get this loan at the beginning of the season and are not able to pay it off by the end of the season that that can accumulate and it pushes them right. into that god yeah and, and like you said and then <clears throat> i know this is obviously very important to you and, and to everyone um crops mm-hmm. don't plant themselves mm-hmm. these people are in uh, just in an incredibly tough situation. This is not some, some water system that can be controlled. It's, yeah. Again, it's not in the U S we talk about, Oh, we had a cold winter and sometimes the snow comes in December and sometimes it comes in February. Uh, you know, this, uh, this article about, uh, Bihar was saying mm-hmm. that not only has it killed 184 people, 78 since Saturday, uh, it's been 33 days above, above 40 Celsius, 115 yeah. degrees or so. But at the end, they note the Southwest monsoon is running about 11 days late. And when you're on a 33-day heat streak, mm-hmm. this the world's most powerful monsoon being 11 days late really fucking means something. And, yeah. and exactly. the, the same news to come out about Chennai. Am I saying that right? Um, Chennai, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, as as there, uh, I think it's 11 million people there. So two or three million more than New York. Uh, and they are effectively out of water. And yeah. again... It's it's just it's just it it's it's devastating. 
You know, these, right. So these this th- gives you some indication of just how important those monsoon rains are, because they're important not just for agriculture, but also for water availability for much of the region. Hey guys, it's Quinn. If you're listening to this, you obviously like podcasts, and you probably like music too. On Spotify, you can listen to all of that in one place for free. You don't even need a premium account. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can download episodes to listen to offline, wherever you might be, and you can easily share what you're listening to with your friends via Spotify's integrations with social platforms like Instagram. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the one you're listening to right now. You can just search for Important Not Important on the Spotify app or browse podcasts in the Your Library tab. Very convenient. And of course, you can follow us so you never miss an episode of Important Not Important. Uh, Spotify is the world's leading music streaming service, and now it can be your go-to for podcasts, too. Uh, doctor, what what has the what has the Indian government done, or what are they doing to to support farmers um, in this just unpredictable and, and changing environment? If there's anything that they can do, sure. Um, I feel like I'm going to get into trouble for, <laughs> for. Oh, perfect! These are our favorite answers. <laughs> you answer it however so, you feel I'm, fit. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm going to start with the positives. Um, I think the government does. They, they acknowledge that this is an issue, that the farmers that are producing all the food that we consume are affected by climate change. Good. And and they have programs um, that I, some of the programs I learned about, that they are trying to get access. They are trying to provide uh, loans to farmers, provide aid to farmers when there are extreme events uh, like droughts or or if their crops get affected by, you know, intense rainfall or flooding they there are programs like that that are available from the uh, from the national government the issue is the farmers being able to access that they haven't reached all the farmers yet so there are programs like this that are available and i i heard of some pretty like really positive stories in certain states where ngos were helping farmers figure out how to access the aid that they would get in a drought year because yeah. farmers don't know how to do that. They don't sure. know how to go to a bank and, 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 and set up an account and get loan. Or if they do this corruption that's happening at those stages, that's preventing them from doing that. So the government is trying to you know, improve those, those channels and, and provide access to the farmers. One of the issues, though, is that um, it's 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 not going to be some it's not going to be a subtle change that's going to to help these farmers. They've they've been growing crops that are not suitable for the climate in that region, um, and I see mm. that. So um, there are a few people I collaborate with at Columbia University, um, Ruth DeFries and Kyle Davis, and um, they've been doing amazing work showing that rice, which is one of the main crops that's grown there, because it's a it's a cash crop and it's um, exported, so it's important for the economy. That is more sensitive to climate variations than the traditional grains that people used to grow and consume. Hmm. Millets, maize, sorghum, these are grains that are, they are more resilient to climate variability. They don't need as much irrigation. And yet, our farmers are forced to grow rice 
because that is what is incentivized in the market. And that's what they're going to continue to grow unless there's a, you know, overhaul um, in the entire food production system there. That's interesting. No, I mean, it's apples to oranges, of course, but I think about how the U.S. has become such a monocrop culture with corn. Uh, and yeah. and we basically have one part of our country that grows most of the actual nutritious vegetables um, mm-hmm. and it's running out of water. So mm. India is, I, I know they are working to diversify their economy. Again, it's a huge ship to turn around. Our agriculture is still such a massive piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Um, and, and I was thinking about this last night and, and this might be off, but go with me here. Um, mm-hmm. I, I want to make it kind of a comparison to another industry, not even a region because it's more spread out, facing massive sort of inevitable upheaval, which is oil production and oil exports. And the countries that have for a hundred years survived on that in their economy. I think of uh, Algeria, Azerbaijan, uh, Brunei, Iraq, Kuwait, Mm -hmm. Libya, Sudan, Venezuela. For each of those countries, oil accounts for over 90% of their exports, period. Mm-hmm. But we are collectively, <laughs> fucking kind of, or at least we mm-hmm. desperately need to, uh, weaning ourselves off of that shit as humanly possible, as soon as humanly possible. So they, along with obviously some much bigger names like Russia and, and Saudi Arabia, yeah. um, they've built economies off of a, and and economies and, and, and industries and cultures off of a, a, at one time, infinitely valuable, uh, but it turns out finite resource, dangerous resource, uh, one whose time is coming to an end. And so some of those are, some of those economies have completely fallen apart. Some of them have made bets that didn't work out. Some are working on diversification. Uh, some are mm-hmm. fighting tooth and nail against it, despite these enormous global consequences. And so I'm, I'm curious kind of what you feel like is, is what the next, 10 to 20 years looks like for India as far as diversifying, not necessarily away from agriculture, but finding maybe things that are more predictable or other ways to, 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 to make money and participate in the world economy without completely understandably freaking out because the monsoon is 11 days late or, or more or less or the volumes less. Curious what your thoughts are there. Maybe that analogy um, doesn't make any sense, but there's no, just going to be such upheaval. Absolutely. No, it it totally it makes sense. I think um, in terms of, you know, what the economy is doing, sure, um, there are ways to diversify. They, you know, they they already are diversifying. There has been a migration of, of people from these agricultural areas, um, from these rural areas towards cities in search of jobs. So there has, there's already been that move away from, from agriculture for, you know, some of these reasons, the climate related reasons, but Mm -hmm. for several other reasons, because it's, you know, people, people want to move to cities and be part of the kind of new world. Right. Um, and so that's happening. And they, you know, some of there, there are several, like the tech industry is, is, is growing. I mean, it's, there are so many major cities in India where the tech industry is huge and that's definitely contributing to India's economy. Um, in addition to that, um, just from the energy sector, you know, the uh, coal, they're, they're definitely using a lot of coal, but they are also making strides in using solar and wind energy. So I think some, um, 
India has a couple of really large solar farms and that's, you know, there's, that does create jobs for people. Construction um, is another huge um, source of, of income for, for a lot of people. And, you know, these factors, like the, you know, the economy itself will, will adapt and will diversify for, I think my concern is more, what about all of those people whose lives, who all they know is to grow crops, right? So like there, there are millions of people that that's all they have done. They have not gained other skills. So they, they do, I mean, so talking about their main sources of livelihood, agriculture is one of them. And then they do tend to do, some of them tend to migrate um, for other kinds of labor activities. So I think the priority should be more, how can we make agriculture in this region more resilient Mm-hmm. And there are because the lives of so many people, because it's not just the economy that matters. It's it's, it's the lives and the lives and livelihoods of these millions of people of um, who are affected by by this. And it's also, you know, somebody has to produce the food, <laughs> right? Right, exactly. And, <laughs> and, and these things and, don't plant themselves. Like we, yeah, like we said. Exactly. And we can have you know a larger. Um, larger farms and, and and change kind of change the agricultural system and make it more mechanized but that's not the the answer right because a lot of farmers not they're not just growing things for for the market for the international market um it also the, the, there's the, there are a lot of subsistence farmers in the region sure. as well and their nutrition their access to food all of that depends on on making agriculture more resilient to climate change so i think that's where the the priority should be for the for the rich and for the for india for the indian economy sure diversification in in terms of other sources of income can help um mm-hmm. but for food production and for uh, all of these people think there there needs to be a different focus. And yeah. and I feel like that's so you know, the general idea is such a big question going forward, which is, you know, whether it's through artificial intelligence or automation or again shifting away from agriculture in certain ways, we have to proactively Im- imagine and question and and come up with practical ways to support these people that have been doing this for so long, um, whether it's enabling them to remain as subsistence farmers or, or helping to transition them into uh, the new economy mm-hmm. or, or f- finding ways to encourage um, them to be innovators on their own. You know, it's, if you, if we don't support these people, if, if we, you know, 50% of, of, an economy of 1.3 billion people mm-hmm. is facing massive upheaval. The whole world's affected. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's that was that's. A, go ahead, please. I'll go ahead. Sorry. You know, one of the so one one change that I that I have seen happening, which I think gets to what you were saying, is is education and education access. So you were asking what the government, you know, what the government is doing uh, for right. these farmers, and there are programs that incentivize. Uh, attending school. So, um, you know, at early education is totally free in India up to the age of 14, I believe. And 
by providing, um, you know, meals during the day for children, more and more people are actually sending their children to school. So they're educating their children. And so maybe they might, you know, if their lives are still so dependent on agriculture, at least their children would not be in that same state. I mean, we love hearing that. Yeah, I think I think education and um, is is really and and you know by by providing meals to children in these schools, they're also helping maintain their the you know providing them access to nutritional food, not just food, nutritious. Sorry, not nutritional. Right. Yeah. The, the the point is made though. Um, yes. You know, not just garbage. Yes. Uh, and just to run back to what Quinn said about you know sort of this affecting the whole world, you know. Why should what's happening over there uh, matter to to Americans and you know everybody in the Western Hemisphere? I mean, we, we've got listeners all over the world, but you know we're mostly on on this side of the the prime meridian. Yeah. So I wish I wish <laughs> I wish just the idea that million billions of pe- millions of people are being affected that you know that that they're there that so many people are in crisis in. The rest of in in this region, I think a lot of people. I don't know if people have heard about the farmer suicide crisis in India. It's incredible. Um, where you know so many farmers are are being pushed to this because of um, the deaths that they're in. I wish these things would inspire people to to care. But if that doesn't inspire you uh, and motivate you to to care, I think just the fact that it affects our food system. So mm-hmm. as you mentioned earlier in the introduction. So much of the food that's produced there is exported to other regions. The U.S. also imports food from from India. The food prices, um, you know, the global food prices affect all of us. While here, maybe the price, the the change in price may not be that significant, but for for people for uh, lower income and middle class, uh, middle income. Uh, people, it can have, it can still be um, a large burden on them, any change and fluctuations in the global food prices and, and, and any, you know, disruption to agriculture in, in these major grain producing areas will affect us through, through food prices and food availability. I guess I can empath, I can empathize a little bit where, where it's hard for people to grasp the scope of I mean, that's one of our biggest issues with food, yeah. right? Is nobody knows where yeah. their food comes from. And we do a terrible mm-hmm. job of both providing and growing nutritious food and also educating folks on where it comes from and why it comes from there and why it can only come from there or why it used to come from here and it doesn't, what our changes are, yada, yada. Um, yes. You know, I, I, don't think, I don't think most Americans have any idea that 80% of the corn we go goes to animal feed, you know, or the 75% of our antibiotics goes to animal. You know, it's like, it, it's yeah. so complicated and is like a good 20 episodes of conversations. And we've had a few, <laughs> sure. um, but, yeah. but then it, taking into account like, Oh wait, now I have to think about India. It's like, well, where do you, th- we don't, we don't grow rice. Like, where do you think that that comes from? Um, right. <laughs> so I, 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 I get it. It's enormous. It's complicated. And sometimes it makes you want to put your head in the sand, but it does matter. And things are changing so much there there you know you look at the central valley in california where it is the ground is sinking and yeah. and the people uh, the air is terrible and they're running out of drinking water and it is where we grow something like 80% of our most nutritious foods we don't grow them nor can we grow them in so many other places and so people go oh aha, california's running out of water it's like well guess what you're fucked that's where your yeah. food comes from and it's the same thing with india what happens when like you said rice is down the crop's down 20, 30%. The, yeah. the scope of that is just 
enormous. And what if that becomes in a planet that they just said this week is going to be up, you know, uh, we'll, we'll be at, I think, 10.9 billion people, which is less than they thought, but it's still two and a half billion more than we got now. And, um, and rice being down 30% is not a great start. Um, well, it's, so, no. so food, you know, you know, food definitely, so food is only one of the factors that affects us, right? Mm-hmm. There are other, other reasons why we should care. One of them is, you know, we're already seeing climate mi- induced migration from, yeah. from different countries. I'm not saying people from India are migrating here because of climate change there, but it's happening at our borders here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And, and it's happening in, in Europe and and it's going to be more it's going to become a pretty large issue pretty quickly. Yeah. And it's so so that affects national security, right? And it it's that that's another reason why we should care, um, is because if if the uh, lives and livelihoods of people in areas that are um, more severely affected by climate change are going to become extremely difficult, they're going to move. And it is part of the responsibility of countries that have caused this change, uh, because the U.S. is still one of the major contributors. If you think of cumulative emissions, uh, the U.S. is still leading in that. Oh god, and, yeah. There's and, a there's a graph that someone created last month that's sort of maybe it might be a GIF. I'll I'll send yeah. it to you and we'll put in the show mm-hmm. notes of cumulative emissions basically of all time, but you know, mostly because the time that matters is like the last hundred and fifty years. Uh and it is yeah, of course China's been going crazy the past ten years, but uh, it's not even close. And 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 you see countries like Indonesia and the way they're already suffering in India. And you go like, but wait a minute, they haven't fucking done anything to contribute to this. Well, yes. And, and you know, even with China, yes, they are right right now. If you look at annual emissions, they're pretty close to what the U.S. is doing. But if you think about where those emissions are being consumed, right. that is not happening in China. That's happening in the Western world. Right. So who should be responsible for those emissions? I think that's a difficult question to address. But those emissions... If the consumption of those emissions is ha- is still happening in the U.S. and in um, in Europe, then they are kind of responsible. That's my opinion, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's one of the you know the responsibility for these kind of uh, you know of of, uh, of climate change that's happening elsewhere in the world is uh, is something we should care about because we have caused that problem. Yeah, it's almost like we should own up to it and take responsibility for our actions or something. It's almost I mean, as per- if. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the per capita emissions um, of of somebody in the of the in in the U.S. is about seven to eight times higher than what it is in India, even Damn. even now. So, you know, there is there's some responsibility for that, and that actually, you know, it's not just a moral thing. It's also when there are like negotiations happening between different countries. This is something they talk about, the historical responsibility um, of different countries for the climate change that we're experiencing now. And actually, one of the things that I worked on during my PhD was was actually, you know, um, developing methods to attribute uh, extreme events to human activities or not, or yeah. natural natural causes. And that, you know, that directly helps us understand how much of a role climate change has played in, in, in climate change as well as in extreme events. Sorry, what... <laughs> how much of a role sure, human sure. activities have played in the climate change and in extreme events that we experience. Mm-hmm. 
And that's the big question, right? The big um, question. Uh, <laughs> we can say by now we can, you know, pretty well, like with a lot of confidence, say that there are a number of extreme events that human activities are directly responsible for. Right. Right. And let's, you know, like we, uh, like we mentioned before, let's dig into what we can do, what we humans can do to, uh, to, to take, some, take some action and, and actually do something about uh, what we've done, uh, and specifically here to support um, your mission. So uh, we like to talk about how we can do that with uh, our voice, our vote, and our dollar. So with our voice, what, can, you know, what, can, what are the big actionable specific questions that we can all be asking uh, you know, of our representatives that, that, will help, uh, that will help you and support you? Sure. I think the most, the most important thing people can do and questions they can ask is actually talk about climate change and the impact it's having in different parts of the world. Talk to friends, your family. They're difficult conversations to have, but educate people and and do outreach and talk to your communities and, and just learn about what is going on in the rest of the world because we're so focused on what's happening here in the U.S., and uh, like I for because I, I remember during Hurricane Harvey that affected Texas, it was a major crisis in the U.S., but it was also the one of the worst floods in South Asia. It was affecting right, that's right, right. Many people, millions of people were displaced, thousands of people died, and then I think New York Times had one article about it. So. Yeah. We, we, need, we need to keep ourselves aware of what's going on in the rest of the world. How is the rest of the world affected by climate change? How are they dealing with it? And just having those day-to-day conversations is important because it's an issue that's affecting people here as well as in other parts of the world. It's already something that's affecting us. And, you know, I think it's important to ask your representatives what they're doing to to cause, to create change in in the economy here and uh, to um, ask about how they are changing the, the infrastructure or what, what plans they have to mitigate climate change. And, and, and also, like what, how, are, how are they considering climate change as part of, as part of their plan when they're in office? Love that it. sounds about love right. It, and it. I'm going to try to dig into a little bit what uh, mm-hmm. existing federal programs there are as far as any – uh, support we send that way because I know we have mm-hmm. military things and things like that, but I'm, I'm, I want to dig into that. I'm curious and, and yeah. we'll see if we can uh, put that in the show notes or mark it for a discussion later. Brian, go ahead. Keep going. Sure. Yeah. 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 So, so deep D and, and uh, what about uh, uh, their dollar? Well, any specific places uh, that we can be sending our, our money to help people uh, bring awareness. So I think, you know, a, Supporting supporting research, and so I'm not saying this is something you need to do directly, but supporting um, research and support uh, and and making sure that research in this area is is funded, which is again something you can do through your through the people you elect into office. Um, mm-hmm. That is important. Directly, though, again, as, as I mentioned, being aware of the crises that are happening that generally need international aid. Just this year, uh, Mozambique, Malawi, and I am blanking on the other country. Um, they were affected by two uh, cyclones, two intense cyclones within a single month, within like 30 days of each other. And that is leading to a huge crisis in the area. So if you have money that you would like to spend uh, or, or give away, 
you know, there are people that are in need of this and and um, there are organizations that are on the ground that are helping these people. So I try to support them as much as I can. And that's something people can do is, is you know, learning about these, uh, you know, he- reading about these crises and figuring out what is going on and not just thinking about what's happening there today. But but when a crisis happens, the impacts of those crises actually last weeks to months and continue to follow those. Like that crisis in, in, in um, Africa is, is still going on. These cyclones happened in March, I believe. Right. And, and they're mostly out of the news cycle. Yes, but the crisis is still there. People are still in need. There's major food insecurity in the area, and so the, and the organizations that are on the ground there can definitely use um, your support. Yeah, we had yeah. we had a great conversation. I'll send you the link to with a yeah a nurse who is bouncing back and forth between really two wonderful situations, which yeah. is the Ebola uh. situation and and the DRC and and in uh, in Mozambique and Madagascar, and it's just like wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> I won I wonder if she's if she's there right now that she's probably dealing with the uh with all the um the outbreak of uh, cholera and stuff in that region. Yeah. I mean it's inevitable, right? It's uh, mm-hmm. you saw it happen in Haiti. It's uh, when there's a lot of water, uh and bad things bad things happen. Um Brian uh. Brian bring us home. Let's do this. Um, first of all, thank you so so much Deep Deep for being here with us today. We really really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, it's, You've it's, opened up my eyes. <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, and and uh, yeah, we just have a last few questions. Quinn likes to call it a lightning round. It's not. Um, but get ready for the opposite of that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's not the opposite. <laughs> it just needs a different title. Uh, oh, Deep right, T, right, right. Uh, when was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? I can tell you when I decided I was going to try to do that. Let's hear it. <laughs> so I was um, before I moved to the U.S. I moved to the U.S. in 2008. Before that, I lived in Mumbai for a couple of years, and I just I real I saw the effect that you know rainfall variability, floods have on the people that are living there. They're, the impacts are dramatic every season, whether it's extreme or not. Um, we were talking about cholera and waterborne diseases. And that's, you know, I was there when the, there was a, the flood in 2005. And that's kind of what pushed me to decide I'm going to do something to, to help this issue. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Deep T, who is someone in your life that has positively impacted your work in the past six months? Because there's not one person, but there was an amazing group of people that I had the privilege of being part of. Um, they are the Grist Fixers. Um, have you heard about Grist? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yes. And um, I was part of their 2019 cohort and I got to meet the amazing people that are part of that group uh, a few weeks ago. They have, they've not just, I mean, they've definitely inspired me, but they've also influenced the way I think about the work I'm doing. That's awesome. I know we, we've talked yeah. to a few of those folks. Do you have any favorites, any folks you feel like, oh my God, they would be uh, pretty cool to talk to? Well, there are, there are two people that, um, that I think are, they're doing really exciting work somewhat, somewhat, you know, non-traditional, but mm-hmm. they're, they're trying to connect people. Uh, to nature um, they're they're working in this field of like you know 
people of bringing people of color, bringing um, education and awareness and, and helping people connect with nature. Jenny Brusso, she's actually in Portland and I went on one of her hikes uh, that she organizes. Um, her group is called Unlikely Hikers. She is wonderful. Okay. And CJ Golding. Um, I can send you their information and their links. I, I think that's a really nice way to to make people care about the environment if you're out in it and you're experiencing yeah. experiencing it. So I think they're they're wonderful. The other person that I um, would suggest is is Benji Backer. Have you heard of them? Uh, no. So you know we talk about how like the the country is so polarized right now on on this issue of climate change but he is actually a conservative who is um i think he's leading the american conservative coalition and he is trying um to basically rally young conservatives around environmental issues because because surprisingly we don't hear about this often but they care about the environment they yeah. for them environment is 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 an important issue and he's trying to get people together around that. And hopefully we will have a less divisive um, generation in a few years. Boy, wouldn't that be swell? That sounds wonderful. Let's do that. <laughs> um, uh. Yeah, I just saw a stat recently that said for something like 75, uh, 75% of, not 75 people, seven, well, I'll take them, 75% of, um, of, of folks identify as being Republican or conservative uh, between yeah. 18 to 36 say climate change is going to be an important part of their vote in 2020. And I was just shocked, but over the moon. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. I'll take it. All right, Brian, Excellent. Uh, uh, let's take it home here. Sure. Uh, D, what do you do when you feel overwhelmed by all of this? <laughs> I usually leave my office and I go hang out with my dog and take her yes. out on a beautiful hike. <laughs> um, uh, we're going to need more information. What kind of dog? Uh, I need What's pictures. Name? I need a name. <laughs> I am happy to provide pictures. Uh, I think her picture is in every picture of mine that is on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> As it should be. Um, she She's a pit bull mix. Uh, she's a rescue from New York. I got her about three and a half years ago. adopted her when I uh, lived there in New York. And I've had her for three and a half years. She's a beautiful pit bull mix. And yes, I will gladly send you pictures of her. Perfect. Can't, can't have we, enough. We love it. Love it. How do you consume the news, doctor? Through, <laughs> so this is going to make me sound terrible, but I get a lot of my news from late night comedy shows. Love it. That's amazing. <laughs> What's wrong with that? And the New York Times. <laughs> oh, see, there you go. Nice, a nice balance. Podcasts. So many podcasts. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> last, All right. If last you, one. If you, if you could, uh, second to last one, if you could Amazon Prime one book to Donald Trump, what would it be? Ooh. <laughs> um, actually, the, the book I'm reading right now is called Inside of a Dog. And it's, it is focused on a dog, but it also is this broader... <laughs> It, it, it's helped me think more broadly about how to connect with people, which is through understanding what matters to people. And it would be great for for a leader to understand that, you know, that there is a way to connect different people that have different different bubbles around them and different things they care about. Uh, and it's important to, to kind of do that for everybody that's part of their um, that the, the, everybody that they are trying to lead. 
Yeah, that sounds like a book that he needs. Feels Absolutely. pretty necessary. Feels like a book you need, Brian. Um, well, Deep T, where can our nice. listeners follow you on the internet? So um, I am on Twitter, Climate Chirper. Um, awesome. That is my handle. Climate Chirper. Yes. And I think that's mostly it. I mean, I generally, if I have any publications, I, I mean, I have a website, but it's kind of, I mean, you, I'm, I'm happy to share that link. It, it's um, most of my papers are on there. Um, most of the outreach I do is on there. And, but I generally keep Twitter up to date on what I'm doing. Awesome. Excellent. Well, Brian, we'll yeah. be watching your every move, so it'll be great. Uh-huh. Well, um, uh, Deep T, thank you so much uh, for your time today, for uh, providing us with so much of an education on on what is happening to and with uh, uh, and for those people over there, uh, so so many of them, and and I know you have a special connection to it, and, and I think, and I hope the rest of us realize that they do too, in a different way, but it, it it is it is necessary to to understand what is what is happening there and will continue to happen there as we imagine what can happen here with our own industries and our own food um, and our own farmers as as things continue to change. Well, thank you for for this uh, wonderful and challenging conversation and for all the other conversations that you're having. Oh, well, we're trying. People keep picking up the phone for some reason, so we'll keep going. Um, <laughs> Deep T, thank you again, and uh, we will uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks to our incredible guest today, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. (laughs) And you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks.